0: Again, I'm Jamie, super glad to be with you all this morning. Just out of curiosity, if you, did anyone here run in the Flying Pig yesterday or today? Raise your hand. Did you make it to church today if you did? Nope, no runners in this room. Got it. Uh, If you know someone, like a a friend or a family member that ran this morning, or maybe they're, hopefully they're not running anymore, Uh, today, raise your hand. So cool, yeah. Well, thanks for being here at church to support me instead of them. I really appreciate it. No, but a couple of our family, one of our family members and our friend, they both ran the full marathon. Uh, Wilson, Cochran actually ran it today. He did really awesome. Almost got rained out, but they got to continue their race and they finished strong. So for the rest of us, who are not running until we want to pass out today. We are going to be ta- continuing through the passage, following the King, or the series that we've been through the, for the last like five years. But it's it's been really awesome following the King. We are in Matthew 9, and the title of my message today is Delight in Mercy. So, Today we are going to be reading a passage where Jesus shows mercy to those who didn't necessarily deserve it or earn it. And actually, Jesus shows mercy to a group of people that whom society would say actually deserved the opposite. I wonder if everyone in this room can think of a time when you were shown mercy. And kind of how did that feel? So, maybe you got pulled over for speeding, and the cop, instead of giving you a ticket, just gave you a warning. Or perhaps you were in a tight financial spot where maybe you made some unwise decisions, and someone gifted you money instead of turning you away. Or maybe Something even more just like nitty-gritty every day, you snapped at your friend, or your spouse, or your child, or your, your, your sibling, and, and before you could even apologize to reconcile, they just let it go and said, it's okay. Or just came and gave you a hug. Or maybe even more of a vivid feeling for you in this room is a time that you wished you had been shown mercy and you didn't get that mercy. How did that feel? For those of us who received mercy, those are the memories that we can remember right now. Perhaps you felt a sense of relief. Maybe you felt a sense of thankfulness. Maybe you felt loved and strengthened to continue on your journey. And I imagine the people who didn't get shown mercy, perhaps you felt despondent and just kind of nailed to the ground, like, man, I wish I would have done better, but maybe just discouraged. So let's just put a pin in that. We're gonna pause and jump into our passage. Will you guys stand with me if you're able? We're gonna read our passage this morning in Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. What you'll see up here is the NIV, and I'm gonna read it. You guys can just follow along. No need to read it out loud with me. So here we go. Verse nine, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's just pray. Jesus, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship together and and just hear words from the the living word today. We just say yes, and we say that we are committed to your teachings, and we are committed to following your way. May you just convict us and call us higher this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can sit. So this may be a story that you've heard before, the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. It seems simple enough, but there is so much to unpack in this brief encounter. What makes this so interesting and complex to me is how Jesus quotes an Old Testament passage when he is replying to the Pharisees. So today we are not only going to explore the dynamics of Jesus, the Pharisees, tax collectors and sinners, but we also will need to know something about Hosea and his prophetic message. So let's talk about tax collectors and sinners first. So tax collectors, in this time, were known to collaborate with the Roman Empire against their fellow Jews by over collecting absurd amount of taxes. So they were considered like extortionists, right? So the Roman Empire already were collecting too many taxes that was right for the, the already poor people of Israel, okay, but the tax collectors themselves were adding to that and then pocketing pocketing it for themselves. So this incurred a lot of hatred, and tax collectors were regarded as outcasts to society, and they were excommunicated from the synagogue, these places of worship most of the time, and even a step further, this hatred that they incurred also extended, this disgrace extended to their families a lot of times. So people didn't love the tax collectors, right? You don't want people who steal money from you. So sinners. So these are just people who sinned it up without a care in the world, right? They, they'd go to the synagogue occasionally probably, uh, but you know these were probably prostitutes, drunkards, thieves, liars just your you know average sinner they just didn't happen to be tax collectors at the time so in this passage matthew represents a group of undesirables who are curious about jesus and who join him at dinner after he calls matthew and matthew follows him now let's talk about the pharisees for a second they were the strictest uh maybe not the strictest but They were were a very strict sect of Jewish leaders at the time. They were a small group of highly educated, highly respected, likely wealthy men. They studied the law of Moses like no one else and made it their life goals to uphold it. They were so serious about not breaking the law that they made laws to help keep them from breaking the laws. A little overkill, am I right? So Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew says yes, and here we are at Matthew's home. You know, Jesus is dining with Matt and his tax collector buddies and some other sinners. The Pharisees arrive to witness the dinner party for themselves. So I imagine, previous to this passage, we know that Jesus is already kind of stirring the pot, right? He is doing some healings. He's making some... Some claims of, you know, people are like, is this guy saying that he's the son of God? So the Pharisees were already like, thoughts were already percolating. Like, who is this guy? So then they hear that Jesus is going to Matthew, this probably well-known tax collector's home. Matthew is probably wealthy. so, And he's going to go dine there. And they're like, oh, we have to go see this for ourselves, Right. So they come, and they're unwilling to enter the house, right? So they come, and maybe I imagine them knocking on the door, and they're like, oh, it's too unclean for us to enter this home. Too many sinners and tax collectors. But we have a question. So he asked, they ask the nearest disciple, and they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I imagine this question with some sarcasm behind it, right? Why is your teacher, this man who's supposed to be teaching, of, of a man of God, dining with tax collectors and sinners? See, Matthew's dinner party was like a public declaration of his decision to follow Jesus. And in the first century Jewish culture, dining with someone was a sign of friendship, almost like a sign of identification. You know, when you have a dinner party, who do you invite? your friends, your family, the neighbors that you like, you know, Uh, that's who you typically will have dinner with. So the Pharisees weren't asking this question for the sake of clarification. Like they were, I I don't see them saying, hey, can you you give me a little clarification? Like what's going on here? I wanna give you the benefit of the doubt. I don't think that's what they were getting at here. I think that they were asking as a way of pointing out Jesus's character flaw and questioning this question was concerning his company implying his guilt right so they were it's kind of like a rhetorical question like what are you doing doing this and they're like because you're dining the pharisees are essentially saying are you like them you are acting like you are dining with people are you implicating yourself as a sinner as well So Jesus overhears them, is what the passage says. And I kind of imagine the Pharisees being a little passive-aggressive. You know, they're like, I'm going to talk to the disciples, but I'm going to say it loud enough so that Jesus can hear us, okay? So, you know, what is Jesus? What is your teacher doing? Dining with tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus overhears them he's like okay we can play this game right (laughs) like I can respond so Jesus overhears them and he says in verse 12 I think that will be on the screen on hearing this Jesus said it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick so here Jesus's first response is in the form of a proverb okay so he's using physical illness as a metaphor for spiritual need. He is essentially saying, in order for me to be an effective healer, I have to be in the same room as those who are sick. He's like he's kind of saying, like, don't you get it? Don't you get it? I came to bring life and healing to the spiritually dead and hurting. Don't you get it? I have to be in the same room as them. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, which will also be on the screen, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That is just such a good verse. I'm going to read it again. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And in the first portion of this verse, Jesus was actually quoting Hosea 6.6 in the first half. So let's throw up that full verse in Hosea, Hosea 6.6. It says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So we see that Jesus is quoting the first portion of that, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So now let's learn a little bit about Hosea. Who was Hosea? Hosea was an Old Testament prophet to Israel. This was probably 650 years after Israel was led into the Promised Land. And Hosea lived in a time when Israel was, the political and economic atmosphere was thriving. But devotedness to God and morality were at like an all-time low, okay? So, you know, they've got money in their pockets, food in their bellies, businesses are going great, but they are not serving God with their hearts and their lives, but they are offering sacrifices. Hosea is also, this is just a really interesting piece of information, Hosea is the prophet that God called to marry a prostitute who he knew would later become a prostitute. And Hosea did it. He obeyed. So I just thought that was really an interesting little part to mention there. So here in Hosea, God was rebuking Israel through the prophet Hosea for being more interested in their sacrifices of animals than living as truly repentant people with hearts that were devoted to God. Now, maybe you're wondering, why would Jesus quote this Old Testament passage to the Pharisees? I think it's because, like Israel in Hosea's day, they seemed to have perfected outward sacrifice. But their hearts were far from God, and it showed in the way that they regarded and treated the tax collectors and sinners. I really thought it was interesting. The phrase, go and learn, was actually something that was commonly used by rabbis during this time that were teaching in the synagogue. So I kind of imagine when Jesus says, go and learn this, one, he was identifying himself as a teacher of the word. And I kind of imagine if he meant for it to have a little sting, you know, because the Pharisees were supposed to be experts at this at the law. They were supposed to be experts of the Old Testament. They were supposed to be experts. And he's saying, clearly you've missed something. You have not learned this. Go back and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So let's just take a moment. What is, what is mercy? What is Jesus talking about? What was Hosea talking about when they used the term mercy in these passages? There's a few different translations that, you know, some, some translations say, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. Some translations say, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. There's one that says, I desire for you to show love, not sacrifice. And that last one, I thought, kind of encapsulated what Jesus' heart was here. I desire that you show love, not sacrifice. But mercy, so I settled on using mercy because it's easier to use one word than several words. So the best definition I found is for mercy here is kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to help them. Let's just, let's say that again. I don't think it's on the, oh, it is on the screen. Great. Kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. So I, this is telling me, I know sometimes, I know in my way of thinking, I can kind of have a narrow way of thinking about the term mercy. And my narrow way of thinking, until I really like dug into what this was saying, mercy was just when you were withholding consequences or withholding punishment or withholding something from someone. You know, like the cop who, the person deserved to get a ticket for speeding, but he withheld it from him. And then compassion, which is another translation, in my mind, kind of also another narrow way of thinking. Compassion was more of a feeling, you know, showing empathy towards people, kind of, oh, I have compassion for them. Like, you know, it's more of a feeling and an emotional, like, Uh, draw to people, less of an action, but I believe that the heart here is pairing empathy and heart and emotion and compassion with action. And I think that is what the passage is getting at when the term mercy is being used. I desire that you show mercy. I desire that you show kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted and then do something about it, (laughs) right? So Jesus is saying here, I would dine with you, Pharisees, or I would extend mercy to you. I would give you my attention and my compassion, and I would show you my goodwill and kindness. I would dine with you, but it seems like you've got it all together. It seems like you are already as holy as they come, and I am here for those who are in need and who know it. I imagine Jesus saying, like, you're just, you're spending your time devoting your life, abstaining from breaking the laws, but I desire that you would spend time showing love to people just like the ones that you are outcasting and expressing disgust towards. So Jesus is essentially correcting or rebuking the Pharisees here for being focused on performance rather than extending his mercy. They're focused on performance rather than being close to the heart of God. So I wonder if this is something that we find in our own lives sometimes. Maybe we find ourselves perpetually attempting to secure our own righteousness and our own standing with God. Are we too busy perpetually doing those things to extend mercy? to extend kindness and goodwill and a desire to help those around us, to help the, the, to extend mercy to the modern-day tax collectors and sinners, people who are hated, people who are considered to be outcasts to much of society, who are deep in sin. Are we too busy trying to prove that we are good and we are right with God to spend time extending God's mercy. I believe that God is calling us to extend his mercy to people who are far from him and stop being preoccupied with building our spiritual resumes, right? With all forms of stuff, of church stuff, and doing the right things. And these are good things like tithing and coming to church on Sunday mornings and worshiping together and taking classes and doing and participating in schools. These are good things that I believe that we should continue to do. But are we doing these things and then not intentionally engaging and partnering with God to extend his mercy? Sacrifice isn't a bad thing. It's a beautiful fragrance to the Lord. But Jesus is saying offering sacrifice, but being far from God is a pharisaical way of living. So some of you know a little bit about my story. Some of you may not. I had a stepmother growing up. I lived with my dad. I had three half-brothers and uh, one brother that we had the same parents. You know, we grew up in the same home together. And The best way to describe my stepmom was she could be unreasonably cruel and angry, right? Not to, I mean, everyone, I want to say this. I'll share some of my story, but some of you might have stories here where your definition, your experience of cruel is maybe different than my experience of cruel. And I want you to know that your pain is pain and everyone else, so... I'm going to explain my experience, but that does not discount anyone else's experience, okay? So when I talk about cruel, she, you know, if I got in trouble, there was just harsh anger and punishment to follow every time without fail, no grace, no mercy. If I didn't do my chores that day, punishment, harshness, lack of mercy, lack of grace. So, but she was my primary caretaker. My dad worked a lot of hours and he worked odd hours. So I was home with her often. She was my primary caretaker. And so she would make sure we got to the dentist every six months. She made sure there was food on our table. She made sure that we got to school on time, made sure that we took baths, and all of the practical day-to-day stuff that you need to do for children, right? but you know there's something was missing there was something missing she was doing all of these acts that were good and needed and important to happen but what was missing was mercy was her showing love was her expressing kindness or goodwill towards me and my brother we were afflicted the, um as children our mother actually went to prison for a long time so as you can imagine we were we were kind of having a hard time as kids and we you would expect a stepmother to kind of kind of come in and take that spot unfortunately that was not the case so i found myself taking notes of what kind of parent do i not want to be someday mental notes you know she did this i don't want to do that see in our relationship What was missing was a heart that really loved me and that showed kindness and goodwill and a desire to really help me. And this is kind of an illustration I like to use for the, it's another way of expressing how the Pharisees were living and how some of us might live today, how we're doing all of these things. We're busy doing actions and our hearts are far from showing love to people around us. So I want to invite you all this morning to just a little bit of self-evaluation. Are there any obstacles that are preventing us from showing love and extending mercy to the world? How Jesus did in this passage. I came up with just a couple of potential obstacles that I'm gonna share with you guys this morning. But I, want, I would encourage you to continue asking the Father, what is an obstacle that could be keeping me from extending mercy? So the first one we have here is judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is essentially, plainly put, when you judge someone harshly with a critical attitude and lacking empathy when you judge someone harshly with a critical attitude and lacking empathy, and often, with just like a small piece of information, right? (laughs) We, like, an example could be, we see, you know, someone, you know, pushing their grocery cart around in the grocery store, and we see it just full of junk food. And maybe we think to ourselves, wow, they really don't eat healthily. That's an example of judging with a critical attitude and somewhat harshly. Or maybe you know someone who's been looking for a job for six months, and that's all you know. He says, hey, I've I've been trying. I'm looking for a job, and with that piece of information, you think, you haven't found a job in six months? Man, you must be lazy and unmotivated. Judging harshly with a critical attitude and lacking empathy. How, it's hard to show someone mercy when we choose to critically judge them rather than seeing them as a perfect candidate to receiving mercy, right? If our thoughts are full of judgmentalism and judging someone with making critical assumptions, our hearts are far from saying, I wonder how I could help them experience the mercy and the goodness of God. Another obstacle to mercy could be a superiority mindset. So, this is a superiority mindset is when you believe that you rank higher than most others in most things. Maybe you think that you are just way more spiritually elite than other people, or maybe you just think that because of what you do for a job, you are a professional elite. And you often will have an overly high opinion of yourself, right? And this is typically paired with selfishness, a superiority mindset, because you're really just thinking about yourself all the time. You're thinking about how good you are, how great you are, how lowly everyone else is, and what can you do to get yourself farther ahead? What can we do to get ourselves more spiritually elite or more morally elite than everyone else? It is challenging to show mercy to someone when you think you're better than them. Because in my opinion, if you have this superiority mindset and then you attempt to like, you know, show some half-hearted mercy to someone, I think that's patronizing them. So those are just a couple of obstacles that, you know, you can take some inventory and evaluate ourselves like Is this something in either a very minute way or in a big way that I can repent of? So a couple of ways to practice mercy. One way is to extend mercy joyfully and generously. Extend mercy joyfully and generously. What I like to say is give it away like it's candy on Halloween night, right? And you have a this bottomless well of candy, and I mean, I love giving out candy. Okay, so it's just like, how much candy can we afford to buy so I can give them as much candy? Every person, every child that comes to our door, can I give them two handfuls? How much can I just give it away like it's candy, or like you're 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 in a parade and you're just like tossing candy to and throw? Jesus did not call Matthew to follow him begrudgingly or with hesitation in his heart. He actually called him with love in his heart and with great anticipation. I believe when Jesus called Matthew, he said, I have this mercy to give and I just wanna pour it out, all that I have to you. Will you accept? A great passage for this is Micah seven eighteen. It's not gonna be on the screens, but you guys can take note and look it up later to make sure I'm not lying to you. It says, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? Do you not stay angry forever? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. God is delighted to show mercy to the world. He is not waiting for us to get it together, and so we should not wait for the modern-day tax collectors and sinners to get their lives together before we decide that they deserve to experience the goodness and the mercy of God. Another way that we can practice mercy, number two, intentional proximity to those in need of mercy. Intentional proximity to those in need of mercy. We see in this passage that Jesus intentionally places himself at a dinner table with just like, who knows, twenty sinners and tax collectors. However, many could fit into his big house, right? And I imagine he had a feeling that would happen when, if you know, I imagine Matthew inviting Jesus, Jesus, come, come have dinner at my house. And then I imagine you know Matthew's maybe like telling his friends, hey, I s- I started following Jesus. Come check it out. Are you you want to see? and then Jesus probably sees Matthew bringing out these big plates of food. Like, oh, that looks like more food than just for you and I, Matthew. Hmm. Jesus stays. He's like, I'm in a room full of outcasts to society, and I am delighted. He put himself at the table. So I, my question would be, Maybe it's the, who are people in our lives that we can put ourselves in intentional proximity to, to give us the opportunity to extend God's mercy. Maybe it's those who have deconstructed their faith. Maybe it's someone in the LGBTQ plus community. Maybe it's a homeless person. Maybe we need to go downtown, go where the bridge is, and say, hey, do you want to go have a burger with me? I would love to treat you. Maybe a single mom or a single dad. Or maybe it's an addict. Or maybe someone who could really, putting yourself in proximity of someone who could really use God's mercy is maybe a foster child. Or someone who is in an orphanage who could really use a loving home to be adopted into. What a beautiful opportunity to extend God's mercy. Now, these are not the only ways to extend mercy. These are just a couple of ways to get our hearts and our minds and our spirits stirring. I believe that the Holy Spirit is extending an invitation to us this morning to make room in our hearts and to make room in our lives to generously and intentionally pour out kindness and goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, to generously and intentionally pour out a desire to help, a heart of the matter paired with an action towards those in need. Will you all stand with me? So this is going to be our opportunity to take you know, 30 seconds to a minute to do a little bit of self-evaluation. So I'll pray and then I'll give us a minute. Holy Spirit, thank you for meeting us here. Father, we do not want to be a people who offer sacrifices and yet are far from your heart. So, Father, will you just speak to us now in what potential obstacles are preventing us from extending the mercy that Jesus was extending here in this passage? Who in our lives or in our communities would you lead us to, to intentionally and generously extend your mercy Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we say yes. We just say yes to your call to to lay down our judgmentalism, to lay down any superiority mindsets that we might have. We lay down our selfishness. We make space in our lives to be the hands and feet that you called us to be, to extend. We love you, and we just say yes to to the call that you're, you're giving us right now. We say yes to that. We commit ourselves to being a people who show mercy. We commit ourselves to being a people who put ourselves in proximity to those in need of mercy. We love you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.